faith. Now, let's jump into chapter four, and I want to inch through and make a couple of observations. Uh, Beginning in chapter one, he starts out by saying, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So worthy of the calling, not a big splash, but faithful with your gifts, with your opportunities, with the influences that God has provided. Live a life worthy of the calling. This is that scene from um, uh, Saving Private Ryan, where all these guys go out and save this one last son, and, and, this, and here's Private Ryan in the later years of his life, is like, am I a good man? And they're like, are you kidding me? You're a great man. But he wanted to know that he had lived a good life. Worthy of the calling. This is what Paul is saying. And how do you become worthy? It's not that you become exalted. It's not that you become the it person with all the gifts of the world. It's not that you become the most wealthy or most renowned. Faithfulness is the new success. So what are the gifts? What are the talents? What are the relationships that you have that you can steward for the Lord? That's what he's looking at a life worthy of the calling. How do you steward your influence with your children or with your coworkers or with your neighbors? This is what God's looking for, is faithfulness is the new success. And then he talks about this sense of calling. And I would simply define your calling as your life as an offering. Because if we see our lives in Christ, we understand that all that I have is a gift. So then I can be poured out. I don't have to kind of hold on or or protect. So verse two, he goes on to say, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now he's speaking to a group of people who are trying to figure out what it means to be an extended family of faith. And clearly the church throughout the ages has had a hard time playing nice and getting along. And he's saying, Let's start by learning how to play nice with each other. Because if you play nice with each other, if you serve or bear with one another, the world will take note and it will be a testimony, not to your character, but to God's faithfulness and the reality of God's presence as a reconciling force. So we can have people from all walks of life, all economic spheres, all education backgrounds, all cultures, and come together to be the church because in Christ and this is the theme of chapter four. We are one. And so bearing with one another, this is where we say church isn't something to be consumed. The church is simply where we come to learn how to love and be loved. So we got to go to church because there's some hard to love people and I want to learn to love. That's my new year's resolution. I want to learn to love better. I want to learn to love more, not me, someone else. So we come and we go, I'm going to go sit in children's ministry and apprentice other kids, even though they don't play nice. And I want to spank them or whatever. I don't know. I know I'm talking about some other church, but uh, I've, I've heard these things said. But what I'm saying is there is a way that we need to approach church, not as a consumer. And I'm not saying that we do, but I just want to bring it. It, it, it is un-American to think like a Christian, because consumption is what Americans do best. But when we walk into church, we're like, no, I've got to learn how to love more. I've got to learn how to love better. That's why we exist. 
And so it's a life worthy of the calling that you have received, bearing with one another in love. Now, verses three through six, he goes on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is, and here's this oneness theme, there is one body and one spirit, uh, which you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father over all who is over all and through all and in all. So he's making this point to keep the unity and it applies diversity and not sameness. And the Jews thought it was to be done their way uh, all along. Like, oh no, this is our God. And he's like, no, no, no. Christ unifies all of us. So we have a saying that I've used. It's on our website and it simply says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. I'll say it again for you. It's not on the screen. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. In other words, the idea of being a church isn't that everyone can afford the kind of community that we enjoy or that come from the same zip code or come from the same education background or have the same kind of upbringing. There's all of these things that will draw us together naturally. But the church has to be always pushing into the margins. Otherwise, I think the church has lost its its edge. And so let's think about the church as sort of an enlisting in sort of um, a spiritual fitness program, right? We don't want to show up to church and get fat. We don't want to just get saturated on the word with no application of the word. We don't want to have like all of these beliefs and convictions without having a practice of our faith. Both is needed. And so that's why I'm always encouraging, like, um, I, was, I was putting together this slideshow and I'm looking at us, I'm like, oh my gosh, we've been in these really unique apartments that have had cockroaches and funky smells because they can't afford to have cleaning supplies uh, and have lived there for a year with no, really, uh, probably not a toilet being cleaned. Uh, And yet we like our cocktails and do these really amazing um, high-end parties. And I'm saying, yes, the church needs to have that kind of range where we can throw a baby shower and and express love and gifts to uh, an immigrant community. But we can also come alongside and do care meals for our own kind. I mean, it's both and. But we need to be able to say, okay, I'm involved with this because, and people are like, why do you even go to church? It's so beautiful out. The lake is way cooler and way more. No, no, I have to go to church because I need to learn how to love. I don't do that naturally. And I want to be loved. Why don't you go? I mean, that's a compelling argument for church. But not every church, maybe, you know, there's, a, there's enough bruised and battered people that have kind of limped out of church and said, done. And I'm saying, yeah, but we're Mission Hills. We can do it different because we got a blank canvas to paint on. And so verse 7, he says these words, and it's so beautiful. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, to each one, grace has been appointed by Christ Jesus. The word grace is the word um, charis. It's the Greek word charis, which we get charisma. So if some of you watch, I don't know, um, or watch a band and they have a really charismatic frontman, 
Or if you watch maybe one of like, you know, American Idol type shows or something, someone comes on and has a kind of presence about them. They have it and you can't teach it. And what I'm saying is you have it in some way because Christ has appointed you to have some kind of unique gifting some kind of unique spiritual DNA that you are supposed to contribute to the development and the unity of the body of Christ. You have the it factor, but it looks different for all of us. But here's the great dilemma, is that when we come to do church and church as a worship service becomes the primary expression, how many gifts are in operation right now? Okay, well, I kind of have a little bit of a teaching gift and a leadership gift, and, and B has some music gifts. Um, And all of a sudden, we start running out of people using supernatural gifts in operation. And I'm saying the church can't be something we simply consume. We need to figure out tangible ways that we respond in the supernatural, even though it doesn't feel like a warm fuzzy to you, to learn how to love and be loved and to to continue to push towards the margins. There are people in despair and needing hope. There are people in profound need and they their needs are just different than my own. And so this word, is, this, this spiritual gifts are supernatural ways that I simply call what it means to be a minister. Putting the divine on display. And you don't have to work at a church to do that. Putting the divine on display in your neighborhood, in your carpool, in cubicle world, right? I mean, the, this is... This is being faithful with the calling. And then he goes on to verse uh, 11. uh, We'll skip down to verse 11 uh, through 13. He says, it was, and he talks about the offices. Now, depending on who you read, you could argue there's at least 20, but up to maybe 30 designated spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. Now, spiritual gifts aren't listed in the Old Testament because why? We see the Holy Spirit coming in effect in the New Testament. So the idea is that in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit to operate in what comes supernaturally. And that is through the spiritual gifts that all of us possess. Now, some things you'd go, well, I don't have any spiritual gifts or I don't know what they are. And I would say it probably won't come as a big surprise to you. There are certain things that just come naturally to some than others. Now, let me just take a step back and there are what I would call offices, which also serve as gifts, but this is what every church needs in operation to be able to function uh, in its full kind of manifestation. And this is where he says, um, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Because it didn't say for the pastor to do all the work, for the pastor to sort of like get all the people to show up, for the pastor to do, no, 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 to prepare the people for all, for good works of service so that, and get this, the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of God. Okay, are we doing church that way? And we have put such a weighted emphasis on on church as worship that I think we've missed the development of these spiritual muscles that are our spiritual gifts. I like to tell the story, and some of you have heard it, 
when Bjorn was going to start kindergarten, we were all called in the week before and this teacher gathered us all and you know, we're all sitting in those chairs with our knees up to our chest uh, and there's no kids around, but we got to meet with the teacher and she did the genius ask of, what makes your son or daughter special? And it was like, oh, the syrupy sweet gush fest. And it was like, oh, these parents are so delusional. Uh, your kid's not that sweet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I'm sitting there going around, I was like, just don't show any, like, just don't, leave your sarcasm on the side. I'm just listening, listening. And then it's my turn. I'm like, because he thinks I'm Superman. That's what makes him amazing. I am the funniest, fastest, strongest, smartest person he knows. And I like that about him. Everyone's like, looking at me like, it's all about you. I was like, no, but understand, my point, uh, my point isn't just that I'm great, it's that the, the, the task I think that we all have as leaders is, is to somehow equip and train and develop and grow faith, which means not just doing it all myself. But at that point, he thought, my dad is without flaw. And I think there's some temptation in our life that keeps us from serving, giving, speaking out more because there's someone more gifted. There's someone who has more time than I do. There's someone who, who maybe um, is better at it than me. And what I'm saying is, if God has equipped all of us to grow the church in unity and maturity, all of us need to be giving in gifts of operation. So I would say it this way. All of us need to have a defined ministry. What is your ministry? And I would say, and I've gotten to the point now when I work with young couples, um, the way to have marital health is to serve shoulder to shoulder without recompense. What is your ministry? And they look at me like, what are you talking about? I was like, what is it that you have to do together that you give yourselves to? You want to talk about marital health? I want to suggest to you that you need to have something that you give yourselves to that don't necessarily benefit you. Yes, our family is our primary ministry, but I would also contend that if you don't have a ministry outside of your family, you become the center of your own life. So that every raise, every promotion gets to get a little nicer car, a little bit more real estate, uh, square footage, or a little nicer experience. Or a and I'm like, it just, how does your life reflect God's glory to benefit others? And so it's super important for us, for our spiritual health, to learn how to love and be loved, even if I don't get loved back or appreciated back or thanked back. It's like going to the gym. No one, no one thanks me for running six miles. I just do it because... I like to eat too much, and I like to eat ice cream at nine o'clock at night. But no one thanks me for going to the, there's this idea that I wanna maintain some kind of health. And so he goes through these categories, um, which are in essence the, 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 uh, the offices of the church. And I don't wanna spend a lot of time breaking those down, but he says, but it's to prepare God's people for works of service. See, I think we need to relearn church. And, and, and maybe most importantly, to, to Matt's point earlier, we need to teach our kids that church isn't something we show up to. Church isn't something that, that we go and just receive from. 
Church is something that we show up to so that we can learn how to love and be loved. And we might not even know who's coming. So we've started this thing called family business. And I just want you to have a chance to not only go through the practice of hosting a gathering like this, whether it be setting up chairs or setting up the coffee or passing out bulletins, it's not rocket science and it might not even be your gift, but we all have roles to play. And what I want to do is for you to be able to bring your kids alongside and say, today we're setting up chairs and I want you to set up the chairs and just pray for who you know might be there or for who you'd like to be there. Pray by faith that God would begin to fill each of these chairs with someone else. Or that the people coming in might be sad. The people coming in might be lonely. The people coming in might be wounded. Uh, And so what I'm saying is, we need to be able to encourage and disciple our kids on how to do church differently than maybe we grew up. Church isn't a show. It's a place to learn how to love and be loved. Now he gets to the, uh, this part and, he, and, and in verse 14 he says, then they will no longer be infants. Okay, come on now. Let it never be said of it. Oh, that's a church of infants. That, that's the church of the low ask. No, 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 no. practice is the new deep then they will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming instead speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ and from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament every supporting ligament every supporting like we are all part of this body grows and builds itself up together in love as each part does its work this is all hands on deck and it's called the church and so we can't just keep showing up and expecting and by the way I think we do a good job at at stepping up and, and and trying to do the uncomfortable things I know that church often feels like an inconvenience and I'm saying I know But spiritual maturity isn't going to come because we've just been sitting in a pew. And so this is part of the urgency that I feel. Um, Some of you, I I read a a couple of passages. This is a really convicting book. Francis Chan came out. Um, He's doing a unique work in San Francisco. He pastored a church which most people would consider, oh, success. He started it in 96. It grew to 5,000 plus people. And they started it like nonprofits. And they had all these people adopting foster kids in their church. And they were, um, started a whole college. And, and he just kept saying, something's wrong. Until he realized. And, and by the way, the people were complaining like it was a bait and switch. You taught us to love this. You taught us to love good worship. You taught us to love God's word. You taught us to love and serve one another. And what he realized is that they were defining most of their experience by their coming together. And he's like, how is this being replicated? And so um, he now is doing this house church movement in San Francisco, but he kind of wrote this letter. And I just wanted to read a couple of things that he said that convicted me, but resonated with me at the same time. And he talked about it in light of experiencing God. And this is, and he, he quotes Paul writing to the Corinthians, but he says, Paul explained to the church in Corinth that every person in their congregation has a supernatural ability to bless others in the church. He even called these abilities manifestations of the Spirit. Now, we're not talking about being charismatic or or being snake charmers, but he's saying the Spirit wants to manifest itself in and through you. I want that. 
And he says, does that image stir any kind of excitement in you? To see God himself move through a human body. Um, and so, and then he goes on to say, he says, Paul wanted all believers showing up with a confidence that God wanted to move through them, possessing them and manifested himself through them uh, to build up those who had gathered. Is that how we approach the church? Um, he says, he was being ruthlessly honest, we become too easily satisfied. We're content if a person leaves worship pleased and God wants them in awe, right? Uh, and, and so he, he finished with the task of gifted leaders. We have to stop viewing church leaders as people who minister to us. God clearly explained their role. It was not to coddle, but to equip. Think personal trainer, not massage therapist. I'm like, uh, there are things that I can do because I've done them for a very long time, but it doesn't mean that others of you, like I can lead a good small group, but it doesn't mean you can't either. Like, yeah, I, I have a little bit of knowledge, but I tell you what, there's so much that has informed how we're doing ministry that I never learned in seminary. I just started doing stuff. So I never want you to rob yourself because, well, <laughs> I'm not as good as that person, or I'm not as strong as that person, or I don't have as much time on the hands as that person. I'm saying, no, God wants to do something supernatural in us and through us. And oh, by the way, our growth is dependent on it. The end game of spiritual gifts isn't just merely satisfaction or even personal enjoyment. Spiritual gifts are about the maturing for everyone's sake. And the body gets to benefit when you use your gifts. And so I would encourage you, if you want to look into this a little bit more and just dive deep, you can just go online and type in um, spiritual gifts, biblical spiritual gifts, and you'll just see a whole list of them come up. There's lots of like online tests you can take. All I say about spiritual gifts tests is they confirm what you probably are already suspicious they are. But if you want to get a category, a list of them, that's an easy way to do it. But these are the offices, this apostle and prophet and, and shepherd and evangelist and teacher. Um, those are sort of the offices of the church. And so I pray about those things a lot. Um, but I pray for you a lot because my call is to be a part of your discipleship process. Some of that might be like uh, right one-on-one -on -one, and some of it might be at a higher level of like we do it at a distance, but I'm always encouraging this kind of spiritual practice and trying to give you the knowledge to go with it. But the goal of it is you might feel more equipped to be able to give it away to those closest to you that I won't reach. Whether it be your children or your coworkers or your, 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 your prodigal siblings or whatever that looks like. Let's pray together and then we'll just close out. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the work that you've begun. Thank you for how you are doing something supernatural in us and through us. And it just feels like goodness. It just feels like faithfulness. But I pray that you would tune us into the ministry of your Holy Spirit, that we might see and sense your presence in a very real way. But you would speak to us about our own calling to be able to put the divine on display, to be able to live a life worthy of that calling and just be faithful with our influence, with our resource, with our opportunities. And that, Lord, you would speak to us very personally about our unique wiring and how you have gifted us to be a blessing to this body. And so I pray that there would be growing amounts of ministry out of this place. And you would give us eyes to see that which you see and, and hearts to respond. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.